dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Anyone who's ever successfully led a project to its completion can readily attest to the fact that leadership is as much a challenge from the inside as it is from the outside. Leaders have to not only adjust to changing circumstances and vicissitudes beyond their power, but leaders have to also play the mind game of being ready to pivot, being able to let go of the ideal that can sometimes keep us from success. Our faith can help us here, not only by inspiring us, but also keeping us realistic. Thanks, everybody, for coming and being willing to, to dare something great for Christ. I mean, that's what we're trying to do here at the St. John Leadership Network. We want to help you to be equipped to accomplish something great for Jesus. And, of course, that takes many different forms, and greatness is spoken of in many different ways. But at the same time, at our heart of our effort here is that the claiming of our culture cannot be done by people who remain neutral. If you're going to claim our culture for Christ, we have to want it, and we have to want it bad enough to be able to sacrifice wherever is necessary to sacrifice in order to see that victory happen. In other words, we need you to win, to not be just dedicated at doing something, but doing it successfully. And one of the biggest things that gets in our way of being successful is the desire to be perfect in our success. I think of that great quote by G.K. Chesterton where he said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. How different our lives would be if we actually followed that, right? I mean, anything worth doing is doing, worth doing poorly. So, so many times we have this idealism in our heads that keeps us actually from looking at the obvious and from looking at the obvious ways that we could fail because we're actually scared of failing. But the, the fact is that those who know how they can fail are much less likely to actually do so. Whereas those who ignore their weaknesses, ignore where they are vulnerable to failure or to attack, are almost certain to fall into them. It's just like a personality. If you, if you are aware of your personality flaws, you'll be much more well-contained in society and much more efficient in your communications than if you don't. And you just kind of blithely go through life thinking that you actually have no problems and you're actually in denial of the truth that you actually do. All right. So, I mean, if you look at, this is found throughout uh, the history of leadership. I'm thinking of Confucius. Confucius actually has this awesome quote. He says, better a diamond with a flaw than a pebble without. Better a diamond with a flaw than a pebble without. I mean, how profound is that? And you can see, I mean, in the end, it's all summed up beautifully by Voltaire, who's quoting an Italian uh, proverb. And Voltaire says in French, Don't ces écrit un sage italien dit que le mieux est l'ennemi du bien. Which means in his writings, a sage Italian says that the better is the enemy of the good. 
This is often translated in English as the best is the enemy of the good. But either way, we know exactly what it means. You know, it, it means that when we strive for perfection, we can actually undermine the perfection that we're looking for. Okay, as Shakespeare one time put it in beautiful in King, King Lear, he says, were it not sinful then striving to mend, to mar the subject that before was well. Right? So it's the same idea again. You can try to be perfect and actually undermine the perfection that you're striving for. And that, so of course we strive to be perfect. Of course we want to be the best. But the leader has to be content more times than not with the second best or the third best because, hey, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Watson Watt, who developed an early warning radar in Britain to counter the rapid growth of the Luftwaffe, he actually propounded what he called a cult of the imperfect, right? So he had this job to create the radar to stop the German bombers from bombing London. And so he said, we need to love what's imperfect. He actually puts it this way. He says, give them the third best to go on with. The second best, it comes too late and the best never comes at all. <laughs> you know, or uh, George Stigler, an economist, one time says, if you never miss a plane, you're spending too much time at the airport. Same idea here, right? So we can, by always trying to be insisting on being best, we can actually undermine it. And, and I'm saying this on purpose because you're not where you are today because you don't strive to be the best. You haven't achieved the position that you have right now because you're used to accepting failure. But then again, there's a place for failure. <laughs> there's a place for the imperfect. That's the iron irony of the whole thing. If I'm going to really lead, I have to stay on the field. And sometimes the team I'm playing with or the field I'm playing on just throws curveballs my way that keeps things from the ideal I have in my head. We would lose the game if we walked off the field in protest. We have to sometimes play with the cards we've been dealt. Actually, always play with the cards that we've been dealt. We need to be able and to have that pivot strength to be flexible in our leadership in order to achieve whatever action we've set ourselves to truly achieve. Okay, that ability to pivot, it requires a willingness to be self-aware and to be aware of the circumstances that are around us. And here, honestly, our Christian faith doesn't always do us the best service because we, we live in Christianity with this, this desire to please God perfectly in all things. And especially for us Catholic Christians who are reared on stories of saints that are just so perfect and so absolute in their gift to Jesus that we can have an ideal that's actually unattainable in reality. And while it's so great to know that ideal and so important to see their perfection, it's also important to realize the circumstances in which they did this and the, in the circumstances of great imperfection in which they accomplished their great deeds. Life is messy and holiness is messy and leadership, therefore, is messy as well. A leader who is bound on being successful in every circumstances has to be willing to enter into that mess and not be afraid of the imperfection that can sometimes betoken the greatest that and best that can be done given the circumstances that we have. And so I think if you put it this way, all of you are, are engaged 
all of you are moving forward with drive to accomplish the great tasks that are in front of you. We do this because of our faith. We do this because this is what action is all about. This is where leadership is found. And the most perfect form of drive will be a drive that's flexible, a drive that knows how to pivot, how to redefine and rephrase success. It's going to be a drive, therefore, that's full of self-awareness and ability to look at the changing circumstances, analyze them, adapt them, and incorporate them into a plan that is realistic and true to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. The real question is, how do we do this? And, and how do we overcome the enemies that are in our minds to do that? That's what I want to talk about because I think Jesus really teaches us a key lesson here. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. All of us who are in charge of organizations know that our number one job is to keep the mission of the team foremost in mind. We are the principle of unity that everybody looks to in order to keep on task, stay on target, hit the objectives, overcome the difficulties that are on our way, to do so in a harmonious and integrated fashion, right? This is really the art of organizational leadership. It's to constantly be focused in on what we're trying to attain. If that organization is in your family, or that organization is a, a team at work, or if that organization is a department, a division, or an entire company, it doesn't matter. All of, it's gonna, all of our leadership needs to be focused on this same idea. I am the one who keeps the mission alive and the focus of the team on that mission with vision. And we see this in the life of our Lord himself. He, as he was upon the earth, constantly reminded the apostles of the bigger picture. I am here to do the will of the Father. We can think, for example, in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 1, where Jesus spends an entire day preaching. And then in verse 38, the, the apostles come to look for him and they say, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replies, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come, right? He has come to cast a fire on the earth. He has come to bring not peace, but the sword. He has come in order to heal the sick and to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's always focusing them on the why that he is here. His guardianship of the organization of the church is to remind the church that she's there in order to fulfill the will of the Father, to glorify the Father and to save sinners. And, and it, woe to us if we ever forget that. I think it's actually the, the tinsel strength that keeps the church healthy is to keep the church constantly focused on the why. So our Lord himself, when he's founding this organization and making Simon Peter the first pope thereof, gives them a real strong sense of the why, links a new law to that why. This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. In other words, you're going to evangelize, which is why I put you on this earth, save souls and glorify the Father by love, right? So he, he puts a real concrete action as the focal point of the whole law 
that's attached directly to the mission that he's made the church for. He's an organizational leader, and he's demonstrating that. It's just what's so amazing also about our Lord, though, is that he doesn't hide the weaknesses. And this is something I want you to all take note of because it's so important. An organization will only be as strong as it is aware of its weaknesses. And that's because the organization functions in that regard, just like an individual. You will never truly be great unless you understand all the areas that you, where you are not great. You won't be able to really engage others unless you're aware of all the places where you aren't engaging with others. If you're aware, aware of all the obstacles that you can actually put forward to that engagement without even wanting it, in unconscious, subconscious obstacles, just things that you do to turn people off. Right? Are you aware and are you willing to be aware of those downsides and dark sides to your brightness? If you are, then you can allow your brightness to go there. You can allow your greatness to expand. But if you're not, then odds are sooner or later, it's going to catch up with you. And actually, it's probably sooner <laughs> because everyone else is painfully aware of everything that you do that mitigates your influence. You're the only one who, because you are refusing to look at the circumstances of your actions and of your personality and of your psychology, are actually allowing your own self to be your worst enemy. When Jesus was founding the church, for example, he pointed out to them that jealousy about who is the greatest would be one of their downfalls. He told Simon Peter that Simon Peter would deny him three times before Simon Peter even did so. I mean, he made Simon Peter aware of the glaring defect in his own faith. And then he said, when you have turned, strengthen your brothers, right? It's like, almost like Jesus wasn't a, a afraid, in other words, of looking at the imperfection that would befall his organization. In fact, he insisted that his apostles do just that. Would, if any of you wish, seeks to be the greatest, let him be the servant of all. And he gives them the example of washing one another's feet. As I have washed your feet, so you too must wash one another's feet. Right? He, he shows them that no organization, insofar as it's human, is perfect. But that if the organization is humble enough to look at and understand its imperfections, it can actually use those very areas to grow even stronger in its sense of identity. In other words, if everyone on the team is aware that this is where the team is weak, it, we can rally around that very weak spot and in that humility go even deeper in our cooperation. It's, it's, a, it's a strange paradox, but it's a really Christian occasion at where our faith in Christ and the way that we live as Christians can actually redound to a healthy organizational leadership as well. This is a, an amazing moment where we see the need for mercy to unlock the potential of an individual to give the very best of themselves despite their limitations. That, that, that call for mercy that we all feel in our hearts to be able to be redeemed, to be able to be approved, to be able to give something imperfect with great love and great desire be, and have that love and desire be recognized despite 
our imperfections, all of that life of mercy that we live spontaneously as a Christian, it can actually be reflected in our organizations as well. We can make our organizations benefit by our leadership from the wisdom of Christianity by saying to our same organizations, hey guys, we're not, you know, we don't have to be perfect here. All we have to be is successful. And if we can be successful here, we can do it again and again and again and improve on it, obviously. But all the success that we have and everything that we do that really wins in the end is going to come because we're a team. And because we recognize that we have to work together and we need one another in order to achieve that great success. I'm thinking here of the story of the De La Salle Spartans and Bob LaDouceur. It's a movie that's come out called When the Game Stands Tall. But it's an amazing story because this guy won 151 straight high school football games and he had no coaching uh, history whatsoever. So one of the longest winning streaks in all of sports was done by him. And when they asked him how he did it, he said, really, it's quite simple. The win doesn't matter. What matters is the team. The football game itself doesn't stand tall. What actually stands tall instead is the effort of the team. So he put all of his effort in coaching as a way of character development for his players to learn who they were as being more important than anything else that they were doing. And they won 151 straight games. He retired with a record of 399 wins, 25 losses, and three ties. And I think that that's remarkable in and of itself because who would want to end with 399 wins? One more win to make it to 400. But Bob LaRousseur was not working for that. That's not what was driving him. He was an incredible leader of those high school boys because he focused his leadership not on the perfection of a win, for example, but on the real character development in the nitty gritty of people's lives. And that attention to the detail where the real weakness comes from, and instead of on just the strategy of the sport theory, but on the athlete themselves, allowed him to have the most spectacular success. And I want you to be the same, to have this, this vision that's truly Christian as you take it into the workplace which is a vision that says, hey, it's not about being perfect. It's about being attentive to authentic growth and to giving the thriving of the team the greatest flourishing possible and the greatest of my attention possible. This is what's going to guarantee also our greatest success. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So we're looking together at how to drive a project forward in the best fashion possible. And I just love to underscore again and again that all great drive is truly flexible. And to do this, we got to get rid of what's in a lot of our minds. And usually it's coming from other people who themselves may not have been successful. I just want to remind you of this. A lot of times the critics that are on the, the fence posts telling you that you're not doing it right, themselves have never even tried 
or they haven't necess- they couldn't necessarily do any better themselves but they just make comments that you can become way too you have to like learn to block that stuff out okay and just be able to focus yourself on what you have to accomplish in the arena where you are fighting your good fight and to do that blocking off that negativity of perfectionism you can actually be an incredible leader because you make yourself voluntarily aware of the circumstances around you. This attention to circumstances begins with having a healthy fear of threats. And and I mean this quite literally because that humility to understand that what you are doing can be brought down and that what you are doing is not invincible. Uh, allows you who are responsible for the doing of it to really protect, have that healthy sense of defense so that you, you do pivot in the way that you most need to. Like a prized boxer who knows that they have to defend their broken rib or defend their cut eyebrow uh, you know, in, in order to be successful because of that defense knows where to pivot. But the worst thing that we could do is act like somehow or other we're guaranteed success. And sometimes we act that way just because we're really afraid. We're afraid of admitting that we could fail. We're afraid to be attentive to the circumstances that are around us because it's, it's really hard to always have your eyes looking over your shoulder when you're supposed to always be moving forward for the team. And yet we, we, we lead, we've got to do that. We, we have to be humble enough to recognize that there are real threats that can assail us and that we're responsible for being able to pivot. I look at Simon Peter, for example, in the Acts of the Apostles and how he pivots by the creation of deacons. This was something our Lord never talked about. He never said, if you need to, you can make deacons. This was something that Simon Peter, under the motion of the Holy Spirit and the elders of the church in Jerusalem, decided upon that we needed deacons in order to wait on the tables. And so Peter did it. Just like the first apostles spontaneously chose St. Matthias to fill in for Judas Iscariot. It's the same idea. Like, how did they know? What were they supposed to do? They were pivoting. They're pivoting because they were aware of what needed to happen in the imperfection of their group. They just had a guy, one of their number, betray Jesus Christ. But he had chosen 12. Therefore, we need to fill that gap. The humility of acknowledging weakness provides the strength that we need to pivot correctly and to score the goal that we're looking for no matter what. But this means that daily, day in and day out, it requires a vigilance. Vigilance always looking for where the breaks in the system are, where the, the next improvement to be made is. I agree, it can be an exhausting thing to be a leader. It can be exhausting to constantly be thinking we could be better, to constantly pushing us forward to be better, to constantly be analyzing where we need to be better. But I am here to say at the same time that that does not have to be done in a spirit of condemnation. On the contrary, it's extremely beneficial for everyone who's underneath you. 
Can you imagine how much they appreciate what you're doing by looking out for the threats and by practicing a daily habit of vigilance? How can we run better, more efficiently, uh, more humanely on a constant basis? I mean, the very fact that you're attentive to those two things, the threats and the daily vigilance necessary for su success, I mean, it gives a sense of security to the team that you might not even be aware of, but which will just come off through you. If I'm really driving the ball forward, in other words, really looking to make a project succeed, this attention to the possibility of failure, a willingness to account for it, and decision to address the root causes of it actually is a source of great consolation. And that's why I think it's really important that we all learn this valuable skill inside of giving ourselves the, the ability as leaders to be good to ourselves, to be, to be gentle enough with ourselves and invest in the, the, the distance, the rest, the perspective that we need to be able to make the key decisions in the times of crisis or the times of challenge. I mean, we're supposed to be steering this ship. So if we're not, it's, it's like one fellow used to tell me all the time, Father Nathan, it's impossible to be your best if you don't get your rest. I thought that was a nice little rhyme, but it goes right to the heart of, what it's, of what's true. It's impossible to be your best if you don't get your rest. And if you're not giving, putting anything inside of yourself and you're just constantly putting on the outside, it can actually be a type of pride that can bring a downfall to the organization that you're leading. In other words, I am called to lead it from the inside. And that requires so much energy that I need to be able to invest in my own success so that I can bring that success to those who are around me. I think there's a myth sometimes in our Christian life that wants to see us be superheroes. When our Lord himself took the time to sleep and our Lord himself had friends and our Lord himself rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and our Lord himself allowed himself to be surrounded by men he called friends. Be good to yourselves. Your organization needs you to be able to be humble enough to not despair in the presence of difficulties, challenges, or obvious weaknesses, but instead to rise up and meet them, confident in God's mercy, confident in the right solution, in part because you yourself are living in that wonderful balance, taking care of yourself first so that you can take care of those who have been entrusted to you. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.